and welcome to Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, a podcast about the work of comedy writer, performer, director, and all-round genius, Julia Davis. I'm Sophie Davis, no relation, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest to talk about a different show created by Julia Davis. This episode is about the Hunderby specials, and my guest is Sarah Hughes, who writes for publications including The Guardian and The Eye Paper. So what was your introduction to Julia Davis? Okay, so my introduction to Julia Davis is actually being slightly terrified by her in Jam, where I have this really, and I don't even know if I made this up, but I have this image of her saying sort of something very spooky with a blue light on her. Mm. (laughs) And I don't really remember anything other than that, but for some reason that's that's the sort of first thing that I think of when I think of her. (laughs) And it's it's quite scary. Lasting memory. Yeah. (laughs) And then did you... Human Remains was after that, I think. Yeah, I didn't see Human Remains till later. I did watch all of Nighty Night. Nighty Night, yeah. yeah. That seems to be most people's sort of big yeah. introductions here, really, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Hunderby specials, a little bit about them first. These were two sort of hour-long episodes that aired in December 2015. Uh, and the original series was back in 2012. So there was a good three-year gap between them, really. Uh, apparently, Sky did want her to do more straight away, but she said in an interview, um, the first series was such an intense experience, I wanted to try out some other ideas for a while. <laughs> I guess she must be talking about camping there because that only aired in spring 2016. So... Hunderby specials and camping aired within a few months of each other. So I'm guessing she maybe wrote them alongside each other or maybe she wrote camping first and then went back to Hunderby. Like with the original series, she co-wrote them with Barunko, Shaughnessy again. Most of the cast are back. There's a few little absences. There's no Annie and Tom this time who were Rebecca Staten and Ben Bishop. I don't know if that was because of scheduling or maybe they just weren't sort of essential to this new story. I want to say scheduling because I want yeah. to say that Rebecca Sturton would have been in Raised by Wolves at that time. Right, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I guess and now that it's two episodes and there is a lot of plot, isn't there? Maybe it's for the best that there isn't loads of characters <laughs> going on to limit it a little bit. And there's also no Jeff this time, but that does make sense given how his story kind of ended in series one. (laughs) It feels like we get a little bit more of Hester this time. She's more of an antagonist than she was before. And we also get a bit more of Biddy, uh, who's played by Jane Stannis, um, because she was in the first series a bit, but she feels a bit more like Dorothy's sort of lackey in this one, doesn't she? Cropping up a bit more. It, It does feel like a little bit of a different tone to series one i think it's got a very different tone to yeah. series one i mean series one is a straight up sort of daphne de maurier period drama mistake effectively <laughs> um whereas this to me is real folk horror this is this is absolutely in the wicker man territory. very extreme oh, isn't really it yeah. it's everything's turned up to 11 um i mean there's there's also many 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 more gross out jokes in this one yeah. than there are either and to be completely honest, when I first rewatched these episodes, I actually made the mistake of trying to have my breakfast. <laughs> and I actually honestly thought I was going to be sick of one point. <laughs> so I have to stop uh, for this moment. Yeah, exactly. Come there's, back when I've finished eating. And yeah, it feels it. like there's there's more violence. There's yeah. more like bodily fluids yeah. and jokes to do with that. More vomiting. There's yeah. a lot more vomiting. Yeah. Not ideal when you're eating your breakfast. No. Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, speaking about it being a little bit more graphic, mm. 
it opens in the woods and Fogarty is sort of playfully chasing Helen through the trees. She's giggling and at one point he just stops and goes like, ha ha, yes. <laughs> in that sort of parody way again, like a sort of Mr. Darcy sort of figure. And then he sort of pushes her against this tree and she says, where are thy breeches? <laughs> and then we get this scene that's quite graphic. graphic. Not, as mu- not as much as we see later, but um, yeah. And Hester just sort of stumbles across them, doesn't she? And she doesn't actually realise that she's interrupting anything. I mean, this whole opening scene, I really just imagine they're cackling when they're writing it. Mm. Like, you know, people thought we could be really out there with the first series. Oh, they haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though to come back to it, they sort of, it had to be a bit different. Like you, I feel that's often true of Julia Davis's stuff, that she can't, she couldn't do something if it's just in a repetitive sort of groove of it there has to be a reason for it and and with this I think that reason is to pay homage to different pieces there's, there's a lot of horror references in this right okay and, uh, yeah Nighty Night is a little bit similar in that series two feels quite different from mm. series one and she's actually said in an interview that she wasn't a big fan of series two in hindsight she felt it was too much <laughs> yes. but then this is kind of what she's done again here yes. she's turned like you said before she's turned it up to 11. I also feel like some of the performances are a little bit bigger this time as well. I think Julia Davis in particular, in series one, Dorothy is quite sort of straight-faced yeah. and deadpan. You don't really know what she's thinking. And this time around, it feels like she's a bit more animated. Yeah. And also in the first series, there wasn't really much inclination that she was kind of interested in sex, like at all, really. No. And this time around, she seems pretty much constantly horny (laughs) for Edmund she's desperate to get married and you know later on we see she's desperate to sleep with him it's very different from series one I think Mm. I wonder if that's partly I wasn't sure if I was reading too much into that that's partly because of the plot bit we find out later on with her being revealed to not be the the mother of it so there is no claim to the house whether it is all a property thing um, Mm -hmm. rather than a sex thing but it's all sort of linked together anyway yeah yeah there's because they sort of go back on the twist that came at the end yeah. of series one, didn't they? I remember at the time I wasn't a massive fan of it. I, I'm fine with it now because I yeah. understand that it's basically what drives the plot yeah. in these specials. It's what creates the conflict. But I remember at the time, I guess because of the big gap of three years, you know, I'd spent three years thinking, oh, well, that was the twist that yeah. she was the mother of Fogarty and Hester. So then I spent three years thinking that and then to suddenly find out, oh, no, wait, that well, that was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it felt a bit of an anticlimax. But now now that I've watched them closer together, it feels more like it's a natural, just another little twist of yeah. many, really. There is a bit, yeah, I know what you mean, though, because it does have that sort of slight sense of a cheat to it. Like mm-hmm. oh, you fought one thing and, 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 and there is a slight feeling of we're only doing this because we have to come up with some way of keeping Fogarty and Helene apart. And that's the logical way of doing it. Yeah. So then after this scene in the woods where Hester sort of suggested they have this family picnic because she (laughs) hasn't noticed that anything's going on. And Fogarty says, what what now? (laughs) Like in quite a modern way. that I like that sort of moment where it seems a bit jarring. It seems a bit Mm. like the modern language comes in, but it sort of makes it a funnier moment that he's just sort of like, what now? (laughs) Then we come to the house where the last time we saw Edmund, he was kind of incapacitated, wasn't he? Get the get the impression that this is just maybe a few months later because the baby is still a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's Edmund has sort of recovered and Dorothy and Biddy are helping him into his chair at the head of the table. She says, um, oh, tis a joy to see thee perch there like a lusty whippet where once you were but a lolling dog. <laughs> 
Great life. Yeah, and this is where she starts to bring up marriage, saying that, oh, you know, over this time I've been more like a wife to you than a housekeeper. And obviously he can't remember any of it. He's been unconscious and he is not up for it at all, really. She says, oh, maybe you should get a new wife now because you're not with Helen anymore. And he says, oh, there's no hurry. And we see he's looking out of the window at some young like strapping men wash, washing a horse and throwing water on each I was other. Like, are these the mysteriously referenced syphilitic, syphilitic gypsies we oh, get later maybe. on? maybe, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. he's looking very sort of wistful out the window. He's not concerned about finding another wife, but Dorothy's quite insistent and she says, oh, I'd like to offer myself up. And he says, oh, to aid in my search. Thanks for it. Thank you very much. And she says, no, no, as a candidate. And he just spits his tea in her face because he's so outraged. I'd also point out this is, this is the scene with the horrendous egg moment that I actually it couldn't is. watch. This is what made me feel sick. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, she, she, yeah, she like shoves Biddy's finger in it, doesn't she? And then, and then she just throws it on the floor and you see... Biddy's cleaning up in the background afterwards, <laughs> left to clean it all up. Dorothy's saying, oh, you know, I could be your wife. And he says, you're not young and young and fresh enough. And her response is, I am fresh within as any young maid, though my trouser mouth may have baldened a touch. <laughs> and he just is disgusted and says, I hear one more word about your rancid nethers. Oh, I know, that was a brilliant bit. <laughs> That's a great exchange. And then he basically, he's so kind of outraged that she suggested they get married. He threatens to fire her and she says oh well i'd rather hang myself than leave hunderby and he's sort of just sort of dismisses her like oh well you know what you do outside of here is your own business <laughs> he just couldn't care less yeah. really like not reciprocated at all and then another good sort of line delivery from him at the end of this scene he just ends it by saying like i'm not going to try and impersonate it because I can't recreate it but he says I want my eggy yes. in this really strange tone, tone of voice horrendous tone <laughs> he's so good uh, he's brilliant actually because he has to do so much particularly in these two episodes without speaking a lot of the time mm -hmm. yeah just making noises on. and sort yeah. of grunting yeah. so then this is where Dorothy kind of starts to hatch, hatch this plan really doesn't she because mm. she's been rejected you know maybe maybe she thought he was gonna want to marry her for yeah. some reason but he rejects her so she starts hatching this plan to kind of get in with the family in some way this is where the group who've been in the woods come home and Fogarty and Helen walk into the house and then Fogarty just completely slams the door in Hester's <laughs> face she looks so happy coming up the little path and just slams it in her face I feel like he's a lot nasty to her now compared to in series yeah, one yeah definitely I also feel like that I mean Rose Carrera is brilliant in these two episodes. Mm -hmm. Actually, she, I mean, she is. I was going to think back, and I think she might be the best thing in the whole thing. Yeah, she gets more to do. Definitely, she gets more and... to do. She's good at it. She's really good at seeing why Hester, making you see why Hester would sort of move from being sort of all lovey dovey to actually being completely psychotic mm -hmm. to actually being very cruel later on, and yeah. that whole sort of progression is 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 well, very well done. Yeah, she's great. She's very good at kind of twisting her face up into these yeah. weird positions as well because she's quite you know attractive in real life but she she's not afraid of making herself look really bad and simpering all this sort of like yeah she, yeah she's always like singing and humming as well particularly <laughs> in the second episode you just yeah. want to kill her yeah. well Fogarty does sort of then we get this conversation about breastfeeding because <laughs> um a Apparently, Biddy has been breastfeeding mm -hmm. baby Ronald because Helen can't. And Fogarty is quite surprised by this and says, Oh, are thy teats still shy to spurt, my love? <laughs> and apparently, this is where we find out that apparently Ronald was born with a full set of teeth. <laughs> Which this is, is a quite unpleasant moment for me. When I thought about it, I was like, Oh. And that's something that comes up 
in Dear Joan and Jerrica as well as a baby that's been born with a full set of teeth. I'm not sure. It's a very funny image. I'm not sure where this has come from. There's a lot in this in this episode, more than episode two, there's a lot about motherhood mm-hmm. and about how women are seen after motherhood. Yeah. And underneath all the grotesquerie and all the things, there's actually some quite interesting sort of points we made about the way the men are just all sort of going off and then mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you've got these grizzled warts and <laughs> rancid never regions. And there's, there's this whole, but it's really... It actually makes quite a good point underneath all the real exaggeration. There's this sort of quite, a, I thought, a real anger there, even though this is this this really grotesque, over the top show. There's this there's this sense of well, no, actually, this is how women are often referred to. Yeah, exactly. You know, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, and Fogarty says to Helen, "Oh." As I babbies have always given me the greatest of pleasure, even if they are as grizzled bed knobs to our son. <laughs> That's going to be some sort of comfort to her. <laughs> and this is where Dorothy starts to kind of sow these seeds of doubt in Fogarty and Helen's relationship. Um, he's looking at this book of pressings that he's got with him. <laughs> he, he refers to them as her, her secret night hairs, <laughs> which he was pressing into them in, in series one. And there's a nice little line here where Dorothy comes in and she's brought some coffee and says, might I replenish your gaping beaker, sir? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, like we were saying before, she starts going on about the way that Helen looks now, as if she looks any different from how she did. If anything, she's a bit slimmer than she was in series one. But Dorothy keeps saying, oh, you know, tis a joy to see a mother unafraid of feeding her new shape. (laughs) And Fogarty isn't really bothered, you know, He, he doesn't think she looks any different. But then... She starts saying, once Helen has left the room, she starts saying things to Fogarty like, oh, she's looking so drawn these days. It's the palsied droop of motherhood. <laughs> and pe- oh, people in the village thought that she'd maybe had a stroke. Yeah, and her butchered below. <laughs> yeah, as because he says, like, oh, I haven't seen down there lately. And he just sort of believes Dorothy for some reason, you know, just telling these lies, saying, oh, the child's head was so large. Uh, she says, I know of no woman who could have borne such a girth apart perhaps from Biddy, who did birth a giant simpleton 30 years ago this day. <laughs> yes, that was a lovely image. I really wanted to know what had happened to Biddy's giant simpleton. <laughs> 30 years ago, yeah. And she tells Fogarty, oh, you shouldn't look down there again uh, unless you will be fe- forever haunted by the vision of an exploded shark. <laughs> nice image. After this, we see Edmund has had a kind of relapse, really. it's I assume Dorothy has sort of given him something. He's foaming it's at the mouth. Laudanum. Oh, well, yes, it's laudanum at this point, isn't it? Yeah, she's yeah. been putting it in yeah. the bubbly milk. Yes. Uh, he's just sort of frothing at this the mouth. This is another scene I've had really hard to watch. <laughs> I've become really squeamish since the last three years, I decided. Yeah, <laughs> he spends quite a lot of time, I think there's a scene later on as well, where he's being fed some soup and it's all around yeah. his mouth. He spends a lot of these two specials just with things dripping out of his yeah. mouth. Dorothy says it's his brain flowing from his mouth, apparently. And of course, the doctor recommends a, a raspberry salve. Yes. He likes just recommending these salves and ointments that probably aren't doing anything. And this is where we get introduced to a brand new character oh, who's yes. uh, Pastor John, who's played by Reese Shearsmith. It's a very unsettling character, very unsettling, isn't it? And partly because of that, and partly because it is brought up, there is that sort of sense that it's slightly more League of Gentlemen in mm-hmm. this this one than than the others were. It, it, it does feel closer to being sort of a sister to League of Gentlemen. Yes, like, like, more sort of, yeah, grotesque horror and, sort of And thing. I think it's not just Reese Jess who's been there, it's, but there is certain things in the way he says things that does make me go, oh, God. Yeah, it's <laughs> a strange voice that he's doing. It's really yeah. unusual the way he's sort of 
saying certain words and I was thinking for a while is he because often he's northern and I was thinking this sounds kind of southern it's hard to tell really it's not really an accent in particular it's just well a there's a bit where we'll come to in the second mm-hmm. episode where it's a very deliberate reference to something in oh what he okay says. so so maybe yeah but uh yeah no he's definitely I, I again I would say that there are very much Wicker Man references mm-hmm. in this and a lot of those sort of films from the, the 70s and 60s. And I particularly, I mean, Reese yes, is a big fan of those yeah. films. So I think that performance is definitely coming yeah. from that sort of angle. Yeah, it was a natural fit, really. And they've done a good job of making him look really repulsive because he's yeah. he's quite attractive yeah. in real life and they've done they've given him this horrible nose and Terrible for for a while, hair. yeah, for a while I didn't notice this, but I think he's got false teeth mm-hmm. as well and... Yes, not pleasant. And playing a sixty-year-old man as well. I think you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good <laughs> word. But goatee with these big sideburns and everything. He gets introduced to Hester and says, "Oh, uh, I'd heard there was a cripple in the village. I see your body is quite as twisted and useless as rumor had it, with a face to match. <laughs> Unnecessarily harsh to poor Hester. Well, at this point, poor Hester. I feel yes. less sympathy for her later. And of course, Biddy is straight in there asking Pastor John if." He's got a wife and, oh, there's rich pickings in Hundeby, uh, including herself. I love her performance again in this, actually. I think maybe because everyone else has turned up in the grotesque, but she's always grotesque. So somehow it just fits it really well. They all matched her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But he's not interested in her, obviously. Uh, He sees Helene playing with his his dog, which (laughs) is called Shook, unusually. (laughs) And he's just instantly smitten. And then, of course, when he learns that although she's with Dr. Fogarty, they're not actually married yet. That, in his mind, is basically sort of fair game, isn't it? He can go after her still because they're not married and marriage is everything. Then we come to the stables where we get Fogarty's first uh, kind of weather <laughs> reference in these specials. He's talking about oh, Lady May doth spray her misty drizzle <laughs> upon one's hoary cheek. I, I love, love these references. Yeah, it's very much like that timothy dalton in jane eyre sort of performance like looking out into the distance and talking about all oh, the steely sky and all that sort of thing and i'm not sure why this is so i find this so funny but when he sort of sends the horse away and goes godspeed horse matthew yes. <laughs> for someone who's that's really funny to me. Just, there is just a i think the idea of a horse called matthew is just ridiculous yeah. but b is just yeah it's the way he says yeah. it and i was i mean so much of his performance of his performance is because he delivers it so straight mm-hmm. uh, it's just brilliant and, and then it sort of pays off because there's a bit I think towards the end of the second one, I'm like, my God, this is almost a tragedy mm-hmm. for him. <laughs> yeah, he's so like earnest the whole yeah. way through. I think he said before that he tries to play it as if he has just come in from a 1970s or 1980s <laughs> costume drama. Yeah. Like there's no kind of winking to the camera. Yeah. It is just playing it completely with conviction. Then this is where Helene is saying that she kind of feels bad for Hester, like they're they're rubbing their happiness in her face. And again, with Fogarty, he doesn't seem to care at all, really. It's like he's just moved on. In the first series, I felt like he did kind of still care about Hester a little bit, even though obviously he had fallen out of love with her and started this affair with Helene. He did seem to still kind of care for her a little bit and pity her whereas in the specials he's just he just wants her out of the picture completely doesn't he he doesn't care at all she says um oh it troubles me to have hester so near and he says oh speaking of her mouth pong and helen goes oh not just that (laughs) 
uh, and then this is where he kind of turns her down, doesn't he? Because mm. he's got this idea in her head that she's got, what is it, butchered blows, because that's what Dorothy said earlier. And Helen's quite troubled by this. And this is where we come back to Edmund in bed and uh, we discover via Hester that he's been having this laudanum mm. put into his bubbly milk. Dorothy accuses her of it snuffling around like a truffling sow, which is a nice expression. And then, yeah, I think this is the scene that maybe made me feel the most uncomfortable where she is, well, first she kind of changes his oh, yeah. underwear and then, <laughs> yeah, just something about the the noise that her hand is making combined with like these groaning noises and also the fact that he's not consented to it, like it's happening and he doesn't really know what it's really great and actually it's interesting some reviewers really didn't like this special because of mm. that i was looking up a couple of the reviews and a lot of people just felt it pushed it too far now i must opinion it pulls it back but i this scene actually definitely i was watching go really yeah <laughs> there's, there's there's sort of gross and then there's like this actually is so gross out that it moves beyond yeah this know? is kind of the first scene that makes you feel a bit like that doesn't it yeah. the first really gross scene and i think this is actually the worst one and there are some more after this but, but i think this is the one that's really like uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i think it's, it's something about the noises it's just and um, she's like creaming up her hands beforehand uh it's disgusting and hester as well uh she's making some really good faces in the background like she <laughs> is horrified and fogarty comes in and is kind of not as horrified, but he's concerned. He's got a bit of more of a straight face. And then he visits Hester's hovel after this. And he says it's the first time, even though she's been presumably living there for a few weeks or a few months, he's never bothered to go and see her. And he's basically only gone now because Helen has told him that he should. And we get another good weather line. Um, he's talking about oh, when it gets cold. And he says, when darkness falls and Mistress Spring wraps us in her chilly night cape and dons her frosty moon bonnet. <laughs> it's like the most elaborate one so far, I, am I think. I'm so convinced that they have so much fun doing these ones in particular. <laughs> just They're just so over the top. Just keep going, yeah. And Hester gets some good lines here as well. She's talking about how she's quite busy and she says, Oh, in the evenings, by the time I have dressed my oozing stump and passed a rag about my personals, tis time for bed. And Christ hath always gifted me with a patchwork of slumber betwixt the stabbing pains and night terrors. <laughs> Bless her. You do feel quite sorry for her at this point, don't you? Definitely, I do. And because she she does such a good job that you do, you can't help it. At this point, I was sort of like, oh, poor Hester, this is a terrible situation for her to find herself in. It's only later on when I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, she goes psychotic, doesn't yeah. she? Um, and this is sort of hints at it now, where we find out that she's got this little shrine to Fogarty, even though you know at this point she thinks they're siblings. She obviously is still in love with him, and we find out that she hasn't actually posted this annulment letter to the magistrate. She says, "Oh, I must have forgotten betwixt knitting bonnets for baby Ronald and attending my own sores." Yes. <laughs> That's a great line. Bless her. And then to kind of make him feel a bit guilty and turn it back on him, she mentions the night that he crippled her. And he says, oh, Christ, will no one let me forget? T'was brother booze, not I. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. He's furious. After this, uh, this is where brother Joseph comes back. Uh, and he's With some of the best lines. <laughs> yeah, we get, we get, of course, we get, um, how's Ruth? Not well, but like with the biggest pause that so that's been so far. And then Dorothy does actually follow up and say, Oh, what is actually wrong with Ruth? 
And he says, oh, no one knows. She simply grows browner and drier each year. <laughs> nice imagery there. I do like it when there's kind of an off-screen character in something that people just say ridiculous stuff about because you know you're never going to actually see that person. And she also gives him this sandwich that's... Um, burst calf brains on a lardy bed which is something that has come up on the podcast before because there does seem to be a lot of disgusting food in pretty much all of her shows but particularly in Hunderby. Yeah well later on they have the dinner party with the world's most disgusting food. Yeah. Quite openly, yeah. Yeah, and in series one there was things like battered lambs faces in a pot and things (laughs) like that. Oh, it's disgusting. She takes Brother Joseph through to the bedroom to see Edmund and he presents him with this uh, monkey that he's brought back. And like with a bird Raymond in series one, obviously the same sort of fate <laughs> meets the animal later on. Everyone's sort of gathered in the bedroom, really. And this is where Hester mentions laudanum and Fogarty isn't happy about this because he's not been prescribing it. It's something that Dorothy's been kind of slipping him to keep him in this vegetative state and Dorothy starts sort of cowering and going this made me think of Nighty Night actually Mm. she starts cowering going please do not strike me Hester I cannot take any more of thy lashes (laughs) (laughs) completely like it's her brilliant she's brilliant at improvising when under trouble Dorothy of just sort of trying to switch things around Mm. which is is quite good and this is also the scene which has the first reference to the syphilis among the poor gypsy children something that comes up quite a lot (laughs) and and later does have quite a lot of relevance because Mm. it's but but that it's just at the time I thought it was just a brilliant sort of random throwaway (laughs) sort of bit because all those sort of like period costume dramas but also weird things like um, Philippa Gregory's earlier books before she sort of wrote loads of Tudor things she wrote this crazy trilogy um, called Wild Acre which Mm. is all just bizarre and in it that is exactly the sort of thing where people will just have throwaway lines about syphilis among gypsy it's, it's just such a trope of those sort of things so i just love that they just fling it in there yeah i saw a musical recently the man of la mancha oh, yeah. which is from the 60s and that has a random scene with gypsies coming in and like robbing from them and things like that and that seems like very of that time sort of thing that would have come up in these period dramas from the 60s and exactly. 70s as well and this is where Helen sort of talks to Hester about the fact that Fogarty sort of turned her down earlier because she's a bit worried, saying, oh, maybe he's losing interest. And this is where Hester starts being quite manipulative as well because she pretends to find the annulment letter as if Fogarty hasn't delivered it. Everyone's just sort of manipulating poor Helen, really, again. (laughs) Bless her. She is definitely the kind of the straight, straight man, straight woman in this series, isn't she? Oh, very much. Yeah, everyone's just sort of inflicting all this stuff on her she spends a lot of time crying in the second episode doesn't she and then this is also the bit where um brother joseph has his holy mission to save brown men's souls again yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he says as well that he's back because they've he's sort of been cast out isn't he Mm. like he's got this book of drawings Uh, and he he says oh the church doesn't really approve of my mission anymore he mentions oh the satisfaction of seeing yet another young upturned face brought closer to christ by captain finger yeah as captain fingers back Oh, creepy. Yeah, I love that there's so many creepy sort of cybers and, and you'd almost you can almost miss them because it's coming so thick and fast because there's so much plot in this one. Mm-hmm. But actually, again, the dialogue and, and the sort of small throwaway references, particularly to the more grotesque characters like Brother Joseph, or you know, they're just sort of there and they just sort of suddenly, they're almost like five minutes later, you go, 
Do they just say that? (laughs) Yeah, they're having this conversation about, well, Joseph and Edmund, about how neither of them are particularly interested in women. And Edmund is talking about Arabelle and says, the sheer size of her fuzzy schoon did turn my stomach. (laughs) And (laughs) Joseph says... Ruth's was very small and dry. <laughs> like everything about Ruth. <laughs> Just dry by the year. They look at this book of drawings and Edmund is a lot more kind of naive than Joseph, does, isn't mm. he? Although they're both, you know, interested in men. Yeah. I get. I think I got the impression in series one that Jeff was maybe the first man that Edmund had actually been with. Yeah. He'd always sort of felt things for men, but never actually acted upon it whereas Joseph is oh, Joseph just predatory yep <laughs> different um, after this we get uh, Dorothy bringing one of Arabelle's gowns in for Helen and it's just massive it's far too big for her <laughs> and like we were saying before they're talking about motherhood Dorothy says oh once you know a woman becomes a mother she becomes a dumpy desireless figure with little to interest the father and there's no sparkle left to remind him why air he loved her. <laughs> Poor Helen. And she sort of starts whispering things as well to make her even more paranoid. Say so she just whispers like, he hates you. <laughs> and Helen's like, what? And she's like, no, 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 nothing. Just gaslighting her, basically, yeah. thinking she's hearing things, planting these little thoughts in her head that Fogarty hates her for some reason, just trying to get between them. And then they actually go to see the gypsies in the woods. Joseph takes yes. Edmund, doesn't he? Um, the only thing I'm never clear about is why she's really trying to do that mm. to Fogarty and Helen. Because everything else, because like last season of the first series, it makes total sense because she wants her out of the way and not mm-hmm. with Edmund. Um, but realistically, you're like, they have no particular claim on Underby, so you can never work mm-hmm. out what it is. I mean, if it, is it just that they're happy? Yeah, I think maybe she just wants to mess with them. Yeah, I think maybe yeah, she can't bear yeah. them being sort of simperingly in love everywhere. Yeah, because later on she kind of temporarily teams up with Hester, yeah. but that's only because Hester tells her that she knows about the lie and exactly. so, sort of blackmail, really. I think she's just sort of trying to get at Helen like she was in the first series when yeah. she kept making all these comments about how brilliant Arabelle used to be. <laughs> just the same sort of uh, mind games to make her feel really mm. inferior. And after this, this is where we get the the dinner party. Where, the free rodent supper wrap. Yeah. <laughs> supper wrap to stew. Oh, yeah. True, rather. Wrap oh, to true. It's disgusting. And we get a little bit more of an insight into Pastor John's character now. Well, Brother Edmund says, oh, I've eaten so much vermin that I might grow a tail. Just having a little joke. And Pastor John just says, I trust not. Because he's just got no sense mm. of humour whatsoever. Just the most boring man in the world really you get these the sense that he's just been so religious for so long and he's just never really had any sort of fun yeah yeah and he's talking as well about what he considers to be the worst kind of sinner and this is where the kind of danger comes in for Edmund really talking about um oh, the unnatural man who seeks to dwell in the bottoms of other men yes. and he's going on about oh there's an invisible plague of filthy brown jousters <laughs> I love the language and Biddy is still trying to sort of get off with him isn't she she yeah. says she's knitted him some like 
winter bockers and says, oh, I, I used my own and unraveled them and re-knitted them. And she says, oh, there might, there might still be some bits in there. <laughs> it's disgusting. And he responds to her saying, oh, I wear Hessian bockers as a rule. I find the constant chafing puts me in mind of Christ on the cross. <laughs> Again, the most boring <laughs> religious man ever. And this is, I think, one of my favourite moments when he brings up this whole thing, this vendetta he has against gay men, and where Dorothy kind of puts Edmund's hands on her chest mm. as if to kind of make him seem straight. And his face is just like, it's like he's never seen or touched boobs before. <laughs> like he just doesn't know what to do, but it goes on for ages as well. And he's making these noises as if he's trying to could come across like he's enjoying it. Do you have anything else for this dinner party scene uh, before the, the crumb horn song comes into oh, it? the song just <laughs> makes me laugh so much. Well, I mean, I, I actually do love a dinner party scene. I mean, all dinner party scenes and everything are mm -hmm. just among my sort of favourite sort of conventions, where, particularly yeah. these really terrible ones. And, and this one is brilliant because there's so many cross channels that are going on with it from sort of Dorothy under sort of subtly undermining Helen but it's without mm. it being a sort of part of it to Biddy's sort of whole sort of thing to the whole <laughs> thing with Edmund and everybody's everybody has their own sort of um just the word on the you know their own agenda going on yeah but but they're all at cross purposes <laughs> so it becomes really complicated as to what's actually happening which is brilliant and then you've got the pasta frat all just totally missing all of that just sort of just thinking everyone really wants to listen to him and his vendetta against gay people yeah and, and he really believes that they would just listen and none of them really are until the moment that Dorothy realizes the danger and then she's just like you know. yeah yeah there's all these little misunderstandings going yeah. on like this is the point where Helen is angry with Fogarty because she because right. she thinks and he has to go to the toilet and, and gets, gets left there <laughs> and gets left there. Forgotten that. <laughs> yeah, he like hauls her to the toilet and she says, "Oh, can you stay nearby?" And he just goes off and yeah. forgets about it. And when he goes back in there later, he's like, "What are you doing in here?" As if he's just forgotten that he's put her in there at all. Dorothy is quite drunk as well, isn't she? She yeah. she says some nasty things towards Helen about saying that her baby is deformed and stuff like that. That's oh, another gypsy reference as well. They go on about the gypsies yeah, the, again. Yeah, he said. <laughs> John says, "Oh, the gypsies have been like beaten, and they've um they've confessed to you know seeing men in the woods, and they're going to give us descriptions of the men." And obviously, Edmund's very scared. They also, he also says, "Oh, about the gypsies, we've um sealed up their back places <laughs> as some sort of punishment." <laughs> Don't know how that would work. And also, this is where John starts to hit on Helen a little bit as well. <laughs> Not very well, though. He says to her, you know, that they could, they should consider getting married. As I would urge thee to consider carefully, for the Lord cares not for an aging, unwed mother to a bastard. <laughs> Just not the nicest way of trying to seduce someone. Basically, saying, "Marry me, otherwise everyone's gonna think you're awful because you you're not married and yeah, you've got a you're son." You're on the shelf and you're old, mm -hmm. and everyone's telling you you're just you, you never regions a butcher, basically. <laughs> and this is the point where. Dorothy confesses to Biddy, seemingly because she's quite drunk. I don't think yeah. she would have slipped up like this otherwise. Confesses to Biddy that she lied when she said that Hester and, and Fogarty. Yeah, Hester and Fogarty are in the bathroom. And of course, Hester is delighted about this because it means they're technically now, their marriage is fine, according, you know, it's and it's his Christian duty to stay with her. Because and there's also the best bit about this where they're just randomly two children from a an orphanage or something she found it and then she's sort of like and Biddy sort of said, well are they actually related and she sort of she describes it she actually describes them in such a way that you think 
well, yeah, maybe they are related because, <laughs> because she sort of says they're both sort of dumpy and, and, yeah. and it's meant to suggest they're not. Mm. But actually you come away from thinking, well, maybe they are. <laughs> yeah, she says about him, uh, the pudge-faced yeah. doctor. That's <laughs> a pudge-faced doctor and the dumpy cripple, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that one could be another twist. Maybe they actually are related. Well, that's what I sort of thought. Is that where it's going to go? That it's like... mm, uh, yeah, Hester is beside herself and she adds in this extra thing as well saying that she is pregnant and she says to him oh have you noticed that i am heavied of late and he just says well thy shape hath always erred towards the rotund hester <laughs> poor hester bless her and she says oh I, i'm chubbied with child and your stout pink gentleman did weep within me <laughs> and he's at first he seems like he's kind of not pleased, but he's quite moved by this, the fact that mm. she's pregnant. But then it all sort of goes south, doesn't it? Because she's saying like, oh, it's going to be a beautiful child with all of our best features. And he just says, what may ye offer in that description? My eyebrows, what a great design. The delivery of that is so good. I can see on her face she can't even think of anything. My eyebrows was one of my, that's actually one of my favourite things in the entire episode, <laughs> it's just the way she delivers it. It's the very last line of the episode. Yeah. as well it's a good way to end it and whether they have this, the singing as well the terrible singing yeah which is just um uh, yeah <laughs> yeah or inspiringly amazing and, and particularly the commitment rufus jones's commitment to that singing is particularly inspiring there's a, yeah there's a lot of singing in hunderby isn't there? there really is and helene finally really loses it because she actually sort of gets into that bit where she just sort of goes nobody would have slept with you oh yes i forgot about that actually yeah, yeah she says that she's like only by ray yeah and then dorothy breaks down at a biddy afterwards and says like oh it wasn't that even that didn't happen she says i'm unrapeable <laughs> she's quite on the line really that's isn't very it? dark yeah, but that's yeah. a very julia davis sort of line mm -hmm. that, that felt quite that feels quite nighty night yeah that's definitely something you could imagine mm -hmm. coming from there do you is there anything else in the first part that you want to bring up other than the fact that i do think it is a brilliant way to end the episode i just think it's my, just, eyebrows. my eyebrows <laughs> it's interesting isn't it because i really like loved the first series and I think some of the special is patchier partly because of the broadness but I think it I think what happens in the second bit sort of pulls it together more so it actually becomes overall but I remember when I was first re-watching I was like yeah it's because I just re-watched the, the series but it doesn't feel as subtle it doesn't feel as clever although the dialogue is still really clever but it does feel a bit sort of like like that, that more grotesque more more league of gentlemen still funny but but sort of the sort of funny way you're just a bit like Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that said, I really think the second episode sort of makes it such a coherent whole that it actually works. So. Yeah, the first episode, there's a lot of setup, and then yeah. it, it sort of gets even wilder in this second episode, doesn't it? It starts with Hester now moving into the house, and Helene hasn't actually been told about the new situation yet, but Hester is kind of lording it over her. She's uh, being really smug and saying, and oh, well, well, maybe this isn't your own house. And she's like, for some reason, now got a load of makeup on and some flowers. Like she's just... <laughs> she's got, yeah, again, there's, there's sort of two things that she's sort of a little bit, you know, whatever happened to baby Jane mm. and stuff at this point. And there's again, that sort of horror bit. And then there is that whole sort of, again... This sort of sacrificial thing with her, which are just a little bit like this is very creepy. <laughs> yeah, and Fogarty accuses her of parading about the place like some hobbling harlequin. <laughs> and he gets quite aggressive with her, saying, because she says, Oh, we have to tell Helen. And he says, I'll do it in my own time. 
And she says, oh, but you you have to sleep with me tonight and starts like stroking him with her false leg. And he just looks like he wants to die. <laughs> Not into it at all. And then we see him looking at this book of drawings that he's got of Helen and kind of stroking her nose in the picture and then he strokes her mole and then he goes down to like the the nipple area and starts stroking a little bit there it reminded me a little bit in series one where we've got that that picture that helen has painted and then dorothy has just graffitied on it with like a really crude penis (laughs) like just something really kind of crude that you're not quite expecting because it's quite sort of modern like the way he's just rubbing the picture and now this next scene Fogarty has got very drunk and he staggers into Helen's room. You've seen a lot of TV. Have you ever seen this much male nudity before in anything? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I was really thinking about that. I was just like, yeah, that's quite, that was quite a commitment. Particularly in a comedy, definitely in a comedy, but even in a drama, I can't think of for that length of time. for For the length they hold it, it's quite impressive yeah i was trying to think there's the famous couple of famous bizarre game of thrones moments where they tried to for the for the equality yeah. of it but even that but even alfie allen i don't think had to hold quite as long yeah as this happens and rufus jones just seems to not have a problem with this because in, no. in camping there's it's for less time but that he gets naked in camping for a few seconds i actually really admire this about rufus jones because i think it's a commitment to equality and yeah. showing that yeah. men should be nude as much as women are forced to be so and, I'm yeah. all for his ability to just strip off for everyone. yeah because i saw him in a play as well a few years ago uh dead funny oh yeah and he was naked in that as well and i was sitting in the front row and i didn't know this when i booked the tickets <laughs> i'd like to stress <laughs> this is not a deliberate oh yeah i'll sit in the front row but yeah yeah, he there's it's right at the beginning of the play as well. It was him and uh, Catherine Parkinson mm. playing husband and wife, and their therapist has recommended that she should give him like a naked massage. And this happens right at the beginning of the play where he's lying naked on the stage right in, oh in front God. of me. So he just loves it. Clearly, he's uh, clearly quite he's, at home with his nudity. He's <laughs> yeah, he's up for it. Um, yeah, but they really do hold this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the language is great here as well. He's saying, oh, this is the beast that rules and ruins me. And he, <laughs> he describes it as this purple thug that seeks to bounce and twiddle thee atop his ruddied head. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's, he's being quite kind of creepy towards Helen in this one. He's sort of slobbering towards her and saying things like, I need I need you. And she's like, go away, you're too drunk, leave me alone. And again, he's looking down at, you know, what's going on and is saying, damn thee to hell. <laughs> and this is where he goes outside and saying, saying, oh, I shall tame thee once and for all and starts just hitting himself with branches. Oh gosh, that's right. <laughs> this is quite gory as well. Luckily, we don't see it properly but we see him hitting with branches and Edmund and Joseph are just watching through the window as well getting a bit of a kick out well, they get out quite of excited by that yeah, yeah. <laughs> for some reason and this is where Dorothy starts kind of conspiring with Hester a little bit um, because Hester says oh I know that you lied and she threatens to tell Edmund that it was a lie and so Dorothy suggests that her and her Hester and Fogarty should move to this cottage in the woods. Uh, so that means Helen won't be around to kind of spoil everything. And she also promises Hester that she'll get Helen driven away somehow from Hunderby. Mm-hmm. So they have this short-lived little 
collaboration before they kind of turn on each other again later on. Then we see the next morning Hester and Fogarty are waking up. She's like just plastered in makeup everywhere. She starts licking his face in a really repulsive way. He notices he's got all this blood all over his crotch and can't remember (laughs) why it's there. Uh, And Hester says at this point, oh, you know, I'm going to leave. And he's thrilled. Thrilled, yes, delighted. (laughs) He's like, oh, good luck, Hester. Thank you. Well done for being so amazing, pretty much, is what he's like. How noble of you to sort of sacrifice (laughs) yourself. It's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, no, you're coming with me. And his face just falls (laughs) because she says, oh, it's his Christian duty to be with her now. It's just, it's so unusual because she she wants him to stay with her even though she knows that he doesn't love her. It's just, (laughs) can't imagine really why you would want that, but she just sort of just wants to keep him to herself, doesn't she? It's a sort of sense, isn't it, that she's never known anything else. Like he was the only person she knew and they they grew up to get, they sort of grown up close Mm -hmm. to him and then been married and there's all this sort of thing. There's no other, there is no other world for her to judge on, Mm -hmm. you know. So. Yeah, she's got a little shrine to him, yeah, so she's yeah. still hanging on. You know, drunkenly or Dr. Booze crippled her, Brother mm. Booze or whatever doesn't, doesn't, hasn't stopped her love for him. So. so we see he's writing this letter to Helen about how he's going away, which obviously doesn't end up making its way to her because Dorothy, I assume, intercepts it in some way. But he's getting more and more sort of frazzled as he's writing it and like removing his clothes again. <laughs> and then he cuts off some of his like pubic hair and sprinkles it all over the letter but it's just like it's like a full-on wig isn't it like like you would have on your head it's that much hair Dorothy is getting quite annoyed that Joseph is still around he's become more like a permanent guest and I think before you didn't really get a sense that him and Edmund had had anything going on in the past you know they were just Mm. friends it seemed but it seems like something more is going on now Joseph is almost sort of looking after him like taking on Dorothy's role and obviously that doesn't sit right with her Uh, she doesn't want him there and she's sort of crucified this the monkey yeah. Which I found quite upsetting. Any, no. Anything to do with animals, I found <laughs> quite upsetting. I wasn't too bothered about the bird in series one, but the monkey. The monkey, yeah. Yeah. And then she also throws the shit out the window on top of poor Hester. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was looked at that and I was like, I think that might just be a poo joke too far for me. I was just like, really? <laughs> yeah, it was quite unexpected. Yeah. Like, although Hester is being very annoying at the time. She's just singing like la 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 over and over again with this like deranged expression on her face and Fogarty's just Sitting looking there. at her. That must have been hard to keep a straight face during those scenes. I tried to find outtakes because I swear I saw some like years I ago. I they did them after though when they first screened it. Okay, because I got the DVD and yeah. I there weren't any special yeah. features on it at all. It was just subtitles. I imagined it. So I, I always no, I think I had. saw I think I saw some a while ago. I'm not sure if it was for the specials mm. or the original yeah. series, but I couldn't find any. But on I know the she gave an, they gave an interview. Actually, Julia Davis gave an interview in which she sort of said it was a really hard set to keep a straight face on. Yeah, yeah. I think they said about uh, that. Reese Shearsmith was quite a bad one for it as well, like saying certain words in a peculiar way, and yeah. everyone would just lose it. <laughs> I suppose that's what bringing in a new member of the cast that yeah. might sort of mix it, it up. It just changed the, yeah, the dynamic as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Fogarty and Hester have now left. 
And Dorothy runs into Helen's room with this bloodied shirt saying, she says, oh, it's the curse of motherhood. Your sour face and bland company hath driven our poor doctor to take his own life Life. rather than wed thee. Yeah, no, your empty baboon breath (laughs) of of the will to live is what the letter supposedly says. Yeah, (laughs) and your crumpeted bottom as well. (laughs) Bless her. I love that everyone just takes whatever Dorothy says at face value, yeah. <laughs> like, even after all this and time. There's, there's a bit of the first episode, actually, which I can't think of it, which I'd forgotten to sort of mention. But, because you're right, she does do more than that sort of straight. But it's actually more terrifying when she laughs. So there's a couple of scenes in this where she actually laughs mm. or looks vaguely gleeful, and it's actually more terrifying than all the glowering in the first series. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, there's a bit towards the end where they go to the hanging and she looks like it's the best day of her life. (laughs) She's having a great time. And then she says that Hester has died as well and that Helen is like an angel of death in the house. And she takes, uh, well, Helen goes to have a look at this book that we saw earlier with all the nice drawings in it. But Dorothy has gone through and replaced all of them with (laughs) pictures where Helen is just like a big round ball. (laughs) And there's a comment on it saying like, oh, I wish Helen were not so fat and ugly now (laughs) and she's just crying more and more and I love she's just fully gone like weeping and Dorothy just goes are there any more and just turns the page again and (laughs) just keeps going through the whole book and Helen's just wailing and then carries on like that throughout most of the episode doesn't she she's distraught now she also says oh maybe you should just sort of kill yourself because uh before time further rapes you of your last shreds of you. <laughs> like, just end it now. It's Just don't bother. Pastor John then comes around to kind of say goodbye, really. Mm. Uh, he, he asks if he can spend some time with the lady of the house. And d- d- at first... Oh, God. This yeah. Is just, this is brilliant. This is such a fantastic sort of comedy of, of cringingness. Yeah. Because yeah. Dorothy thinks it's... Um, he means her, doesn't she? And yeah. and, and he's like, Christ, no. Yes. He's, he wants to ask for Helen's hand in marriage. So she takes him up. <laughs> Do you want to walk us through what happens now? <laughs> when she, she takes him up to Edmund and... And then, and then he sort of says, oh, he's, oh no, it's, this, is, this is where Dorothy starts sort of saying that Edmund is... is now, hang on, wait, I'm, I don't know, wait a minute. Because there's a bit in between that I appear to have missed it. So she, um, Dorothy is taking Joseph up to Edmund's That's room. Right. To say goodbye to him, but he walks in on something. Oh no, I missed this bit. This is where he will... Apparently, I heard it's... um hand cream that they oh, used God. in this scene. See, I blocked this from my memory because <laughs> it was so traumatic. <laughs> you wanted to pretend it didn't happen. I do, I do, I do want to pretend it didn't happen. I was yeah. like, yes, this is, the, this is the other scene that, like that scene in the first series, is just that bit where you're just like... Oh, really? Yeah, a lot grosser than anything that was in the first series. Because <laughs> in the first series, there was a lot of, like, sex, but not, not so much this no, kind this of... No, is, this is real sort of gross habit. So, yes, there she is with, with the hand cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and apparently also as well, the first on the first take they did, they sort of squirted this hand cream with such vigour that... Um, it Reece... comes, because it comes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently Reese Shearsmith's uh, false eyebrows came off because they did it so, so... much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is great. That was another one of those bits where I actually paused it for a minute and I was just like, 
oh, I kind of, yeah. And <laughs> 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 I sort of went back and I was just like, okay. Yeah, um, and Joseph claims that oh, he was attempting to massage Satan out of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love this line now. Um, Reese just says, do you deny he did excite thee to whiteness? <laughs> Yes. I love the way that's phrased. Oh, it's just beautifully delivered. Mm. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, they're they're going to hang," and yes. this is where Dorothy sort of seizes the opportunity, really, and says, "Oh, well, Edmund can't be gay because he's he in, he's me. yeah." <laughs> and I love how even though you know if he denies it, he's going to hang. He still can't quite bring yeah. himself to say it. I it's brilliant. Like they, they keep sort of saying, "And you will hang." All these men will hang, and he's just like. <laughs> I, just, I just don't love her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he starts to think about it. He's still reluctant. Even and then though she says that brilliant line where she sort of actually says it. She says, you will hang till your neck be snapped if you do not. <laughs> I mean, she literally states it. But, now, but it's the way she does it because it's almost as though she's just explaining but not to him, just sort of, it's a very clever way of doing it because she, you, you know that really she's giving him a kick, but she's sort of, the way it's done is sort of much more sort of like, oh no, you will hang if this happens. He still is choice between death or marrying Dorothy and he <laughs> has to really mull it over. And then after this, she suggests that Pastor Jean should stay Stay for a little bit longer, you know, basically until their marriage. She doesn't want Edmund to sort of pull out of it when yeah. Pastor John leaves. They're talking about, oh, we can combine Brother Joseph's hanging with the wedding and make a day of it. <laughs> and Biddy has a good line here. She says that she was always suspicious of Joseph because he was too brown. Yes, this is very <laughs> random. Yeah, because I think in series one at some point she made a comment about Jeff that was like she's one of the main kind of racists yes. in the village. Even though everyone is really, but like she, I think, made a comment about Jeff in series one and now she's saying... You know, even though Brother Joseph is white, you know, he was a bit he was a bit on the brown side, so he couldn't trust him. And Dorothy is just trying to get closer to Edmund, like sitting on his knee, and he's just not interested at all, even though his life literally depends on it. He still isn't keen. And this is where it just becomes even more heightened because Pastor John says that he needs to actually see them consummate the marriage to prove that Edmund isn't gay. <laughs> and Dorothy's saying, oh, well, will you require a number of positions? <laughs> and, and again, he doesn't understand. He says, um, no, I'll just make sure my view is good. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I didn't mean that. Um, I suspect Master Edmund would enjoy the two dogs or the angry wheelbarrow, or we could even attempt the shattered biscuit. <laughs> and when Pastor John says, oh, no missionary will be enough, she looks quite disappointed. Oh, very disappointed. She's very up for it. Like in series one, there was a moment in the very last episode where she's with their new uh, little servant boy, mm. Ned, where they're kind of in bed together. But up until that point, she was almost sort of asexual, yeah. really. Like she was just sort of interfering with other people's relationships. And there wasn't really any hint that she was interested in Edmund, I don't no. think. Whereas, you know, this time she just wants to get married and not just marry him, but at this point she's keen to sleep with him yes. with a load of people watching. watching. In... Just to sort of prove perhaps that she can. I Maybe. Suppose, there's been so much talk before about how she can't do anything. Mm. She, nobody would sleep with her and nobody would do this. And, yeah. You know. And there's this running joke, isn't there, that she's so apparently repulsive, yes. but, you know, it's Julia Davis, so she's well, not... Well, also I find it really <laughs> funny because it's not just that it's Julia Davis, but actually she's looked more repulsive in other shows yeah. than she actually does, and she doesn't look... But 
particularly repulsive. Yeah, they haven't really done anything to to make her look particularly. No. You know, she's essentially just sort of wearing a, a wig. Like they haven't given her a false nose, like Reese Smith or anything. It's sort of anything. funny thing about all the women, isn't it? They're all told they're repulsive and hideous <laughs> and disgusting. When yeah. About, you know. <laughs> even yeah, even Helen yeah. just keeps getting told she's she's not good enough. She's getting on a bit. Yeah. She's got. A, I think earlier they say she's got a boxy shape now that she's <laughs> had a baby, even though she looks no different whatsoever. We see Hester and Fogarty are now in their new little cottage and Hester is singing in this really insufferable oh, way. Singing Bobby Shafter <laughs> again and again, and not even the whole song, but the same three lines again and again. It's just awful. It's just like, I, this is the moment when I began to sort of feel that I actually thought that Fogarty's life might actually be a tragedy rather than it just being a comedy and that I actually felt deep sympathy for him. And I think it's the singing that pushed me to that because he'd been pretty horrible through a lot of these two bits, whereas he's not in the first series. But um, but this, I think, really made me feel, oh, no, no, I feel sympathy for him again. Yeah, he just looks really... Beaten down. Yeah, and at one point he tries to say something and she just carries on singing See? the same few lines over and over again. And the scene after this is where he actually smothers her she he's sort of like playing the lute or something, isn't yeah. he? And she starts like licking her crutch and sort of writhing around on it and then kind of falls on him like, you know, she's saying that she wants him. And this is where he discovers that she's actually wearing a fake baby bump, this, yes. just a cushion, which he then uses to smother her. And afterwards, he just says, like, oh, what have you made me do? <laughs> like, yes. There's not nothing to do with him. No He's like, always with him, yeah. What have I... It's so melodramatic. Like, you've driven me to this. But the crucial thing is he thinks he has smothered her. Yeah. Because I assume she's unconscious for mm. a few hours or something. And meanwhile, all while this is going on, Dorothy and Pastor John have staged this thing where the baby has supposedly gone missing so that Pastor John can then say to Helen, oh, well, if I find the baby, you have to marry me. <laughs> and she's so kind of hysterical that the baby's gone. She just agrees to it. And then obviously he brings it back and says that some badgers had carried it away. <laughs> and, oh, don't worry, though, I've killed them all. <laughs> she says something about I stamped on, on them and their eyes popped out oh, like grapes. Yeah, it's really grim. No badges were harmed in the making of this show. <laughs> and this is another quite disturbing scene with some really horrible like grunting noises going on. This is where he starts kind of confessing his love to Helen and saying... Oh, you know, I've, I'm, a, I'm a holy virgin. I've had 60 years of seed ne'er released and starts kind of like thrusting up against her, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Making these really horrible sort of... Really horrible. And that's just like, at this point, you're just like, I just really thought somebody should give Alexander Roach a sort of award for like, you know, <laughs> managing to do that seed. <laughs> that must have been hard because it's almost sort of like animalistic yeah. noises. That made me think a little bit of the League of Gentlemen yeah, as well. Yeah, like, no, that definitely did have that Like Edward and Tubbs or something. Yeah. He's really sort of like a beast man or something. But then he kind of pulls back a bit and says, oh no, you know, it's a pure love that I feel for you. And then he goes like, oh, and then just carries on doing it again. He gets overexcited again. And then as he's leaving the room, he starts like thrusting up against a cabinet <laughs> and while looking at her and she's just traumatised and she's agreed to marry him by this point. And Fogarty, of course, sees this through the window because he's come back to the house, oh, yes. you know, dramatically on a big white horse. I don't know if it's Horse Matthew or a different I horse. I hope it is Horse Matthew, I really do. <laughs> Recurring character. He comes up to the house and then Dorothy says to him, oh, 
oh, you know, Helene's moved on and then goes up, he goes up to the window and sees this, yeah. even though it's clearly not a consensual thing that's happening, he sees it and, and he's like, oh, Dorothy was right. And then goes away and starts trying to like poke his own no, eyes out. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically... <laughs> Yeah, this sort of very equus moment. <laughs> I'm going to blind myself. Joseph also comes back to the house at this point. He sneaks into Edmund's room and says that they should run away together to America. And he and Edmund is kind of like, what, leave Hunderby? Like he can't even yeah. fathom it. Again, he's quite naive compared to Joseph, who's sort of travelled around the world. Edmund can't possibly think of leaving can he yeah and, and he says like oh but Dor you know you're going to get married to that succubus uh dorothy will force thee nightly to her sloppy clump this was great i was like sloppy clump my god <laughs> <laughs> and they try to get out wearing these like sailors costumes and with the world's worst accents they're just yeah. brilliant. i was so fond of these i was like this is trudy the worst the most deliberately brilliant bad accents <laughs> yeah i couldn't figure out what it was and i watched this with subtitles yeah. the other day and it says bad Scottish accent. I thought it was meant to be Scottish. It's either Scottish sure. or Irish that yeah. they're trying for, but it's, <laughs> but it's such a deliberately terrible accent. I know. It's... I had no idea until I saw that. I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bad Scottish accent. But of course, Dorothy catches them. She's sort of wandering around with a you know, a candle in, in a little <laughs> nightdress and calls for Pastor John and then pushes Edmund down the I, stairs. This is brilliant, this bit, because this, this is just, this is like, every, again, this is like everything out of a sort of Hammer horror movie this moment, the sort of those real sort of way, and they're sort of over the top, and then and then she sort of sits and she's like, oh no, my darling has taken a tumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Pastor John says, uh, was there an accident or might he have tossed himself Which off? Which is just brilliant. <laughs> just never missing an opportunity no. to get in a little joke <laughs> And like I think that. you probably went back over it, I almost did this but because I would have had to watch some of the most horrendous scenes to do it again I didn't I'm almost sure that almost every time he speaks he has a double on pretty much yeah, yeah. like um, because you've got the back passage you've got that you've got that they're constant sort of like yeah because he's this sort of plain religious character yeah. like he doesn't even realise that he's saying these things exactly. he's completely innocent of it uh, and of course Dorothy says it was Joseph who pushed him and then she twists his legs around even further <laughs> And also in this scene, I like the the dog is wearing a little nightcap as well. <laughs> Bless him. I missed that a few times that and then I brilliant. noticed it the other day. Sh shook the dog. <laughs> this is where we discover that Hester is actually still alive. Um, yes. She wakes up and that's quite like a horror film as well. She just opens her eyes suddenly. And then we see her sort of trying to struggle through the woods looking for Fogarty at the same time as Brother Joseph is being chased through the woods and ends up being catch, uh, mm -hmm. caught by Pastor John. Edmund is now back in bed again, <laughs> confined to bed. And he's like pleading with Dorothy, saying like, Dorothy, please. And she's just going, I love you, <laughs> like <laughs> oblivious to what he's saying of her because she's just sort of, do you think she's actually delusional like do you think she thinks that he secretly loves her or something I or? could never work this out you see because it is that is quite the change from the first series I feel that's one of the bigger changes is whether or not she's because you don't really think that in the, in the first series the first series is, sort of, is that whole sort of sense because you know I, mean? I suppose the first series is so Rebecca orientated as well so Arabella is sort of who you mm -hmm. think Dorothy was in love with mm -hmm. I mean that's, yeah, that's I, true. I, I always yeah. take that I always think it's Arabella mm -hmm. you know I mean? and it's not just that she's bringing her up the whole time it's that she was actually in love with her so it's quite odd so, so then I think it's the house and the idea of being there mm -hmm. rather than anything else and the the, the, the means of it and he is the master of the house therefore and maybe it's just that sort of sense of she sees the chance that he 
she could have him and, mm. and then it becomes this mad, full-blown, demented obsession. Yeah, and here this is like um, the sort of misery moment, isn't yeah. it, where she just starts <gasps> bashing his legs and, and saying, oh, it's a new cure from abroad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just brilliant. And you're just like, yeah, that is that. I love that because that is a full-on proper... <laughs> they just keep going. It's like a, ma- a massive sort of mallet as well. It just couldn't be bigger. <laughs> Hester, of course walks in on this and says she's going to go get help. And, and she has the best is... insult back at her. She's just like, drop your wicked beak. Yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and Dorothy's like, oh, but we're in love. And Hester says, um, he hath no more love for thee than the stools that nestle in his night pot. <laughs> and that's kind of the last we hear from her, really, because Biddy comes in and hits her with a poker and she is knocked unconscious. And, and then calls her a cheeky cripple. Yep. <laughs> yeah, cheeky cripple. Yeah. <laughs> and Dorothy then finishes her off with this massive mallet. Just sort of... And at this point, because I was never sure about this, whether it had been in the first series or not, I'd missed it. Is this the point where Biddy is very definitely Dorothy's sister? Because she sort of says to her, this is like throwaway line, where she sort of says sister, and I just presume that she actually is her sister. Oh, I'm not sure. And I just, and that's the whole part of why she'll help her and stuff is because she's actually just her sort of like sister and servant. Yeah, because it's never really explained yeah. why she kind of follows. But there is this sort of sister line in it, and I didn't mm. know. And I thought it was so because because it's so carefully written that show. I thought there's mm. no way they just throw it in as a this is how Dorothy would address Biddy, which she wouldn't and never had. So I thought it was mm. like this is her sister. Maybe because I know why. I know they mentioned that Biddy's surname is like Biddy Vitherfoot or something yeah. but I'm not sure if we ever, we ever hear what Dorothy's is. surname is yeah. so, so it, so it sort of be. makes sense to me that she would be like kind of a mad sister like, yeah because otherwise yeah I'm not sure why yeah. she would be kind of following all of her orders all yeah. the time, and, <laughs> time yeah hanging out you know yeah no I, yeah I didn't catch that maybe yeah. yeah maybe they are related that would explain some of the things <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they're trying to dispose of the body <laughs> by pushing it in with the pigs yeah. and, so. and I hope the, well, you see this is a very valid thing mm. that the pigs might eat it yeah 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 Serial killers have done that, haven't they? Feeding people to pigs. Uh, and this is where Pastor John stumbles across them and they're trying to, they claim that they're trying to save her and bring her back from the pigs. And he's like, oh, but no, the pigs haven't done this. Her, her head has been split in twain like a pomegranate. And Dorothy says, oh, but who would stove in a cretin's head and leave her be swallowed by swine? <laughs> <laughs> and Biddy has this long list of people who it could be, and one of them is uh, Ronald, the baby. <laughs> Just anyone apart from them. She's like, Ronald? Could it, could it be him? <laughs> and we see Fogarty's eyes now for the first time. Are we supposed to think he has he actually taken his eyes out or are they like black eyes? Do you think I'm not I just could never decide on this, you see. Because I think when I watched it originally, like years ago, mm-hmm. I took it to mean he'd like removed his eyes yeah. somehow. But when I watched it this time, I wasn't one hundred percent sure whether they were just sort of swollen. Swollen, up. yeah. They looked like a, again, it's really League of Gentlemen that mm-hmm. it reminded me of I can't remember it was one of the sketches, one of the people there, but that they, they definitely have a scene where that sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had that sort of real grotesque well obviously because of what happens at the end but then you see the whole way that the end happens that does not mean that he might he might still have taken his eyes out with mm-hmm. that because there's still a sort of whole thing to that sort so magic really yeah, later on really magic of tears or a good woman you know yeah because <laughs> i think at the end she says something like where are thine eyes and i'm not yeah. sure if she just means 
they're completely gone, gone. or whether she just means I this can't really swollen. see. Yeah, yeah I know. It's hard to tell. I wasn't sure. And he looks, yeah, he looks really uh, terrible, yeah. grotesque. <laughs> I think I heard on a podcast or something that someone said apparently Rufus Jones sort of noticed that when he was more made up like that people on the set were kind of treating him a bit differently because he was so repulsive to look at because obviously he's quite sort yeah. of an attractive man yeah. and apparently he was b- being treated differently people couldn't like bear to look at him because he was so hideous to look at he's like in, in a different person's shoes for a few days Brilliant. he goes into this pub these ridiculous eyes and he he's talking about oh you know I'm a crippler I'm an adulterer I'm a murderer because he, he as far as he knows yeah. Hester is still dead and he thinks Helena's left him so he's got nothing left to lose really in his mind at this point then we come on to the sort of final day really where we've got a combined hanging funeral and wedding wedding. brilliant I mean I think very efficient (laughs) yeah the triple (laughs) just group them all together there's many disturbing things about this day but possibly most disturbing is the outfit Dorothy chooses to wear to it yeah she's like a demented little Bo Peep yeah she's got a massive hat hat. on yeah (laughs) because at first I thought I couldn't I forgot that the wedding was afterwards and I thought she had just dressed up like that for the hanging (laughs) which would have been even better she's wheeling Edmund around Uh, he's wrapped up in all these bandages so that he can't yes he can't give away the fact that he doesn't mm-hmm. want to marry her yeah <laughs> and she's she got she got something stuffed in his mouth or she's taped up his mouth yeah. or something as well and she's wheels him up to look at brother joseph who's you know dying and she's got this lovely smile on her face like she's pointing out like a little cute animal to him <laughs> or something like oh look over there <laughs> and alexander armstrong i think throughout the whole show does this really unusual thing with his tongue that's quite weird and he does it as he's dying as well it's just a very unpleasant character to, <laughs> and he's wearing quite a strange outfit as well isn't he yeah. like a blue tunic or something yeah you see that no i wonder because because this is a reference to polynesia Mm-hmm. at some point but that's a sort of a gogany kind of like it's his painter's smock so I presume mm. he'd gone off and done his sort of like you know yeah some, some clothes from his like travels yeah um, then we go on to Hester's funeral and this is where Fogarty shows up and there's and some confusion isn't there because he confesses to killing her yes and this is a total <laughs> total rip off of um, sort of there was a, a double thing of the elephant man and, and, and oh, okay. the hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. where he's like you know all sort of like oh, yeah he turns around doesn't and he yeah and, and but it's a very, very Elephant Man reference where he starts sort of like, and they can't look at him and don't look at okay, me. Okay, yeah. And it's sort of double reference because they've got Edmund all bound up as mm-hmm. well in that sort of bit. So it's, okay, yeah, and they're all shouting things at yeah. him like murderer and someone just shouts out fat eye yes, <laughs> and he kind of looks at them like that's the worst insult yeah. out of all of them but there's confusion isn't there because he says oh I killed Hester by smothering her yeah. and they're all like do you mean that you bludgeoned her? Yeah, yeah. For Pastor Joseph's like looking down. It's a brilliant look at Jerry Smith. Gives there, he just looks down at this bloody head and goes, do you mean? <laughs> but he sort of goes along with it as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he says, oh yeah, I, I put something in the cushion. <laughs> like I'm not sure why he's sort of... I mean, at this point he just wants to die, doesn't he? Because he's not true. worthy of living. You know? Yeah, he thinks that he's got nothing left to live for and then they take him off to be hanged and him and Helen kind of see each other, you know, in yeah. passing. And also this is where we find out Helen is basically about to get married to Pastor John because she thinks Fogarty's dead. And Pastor John says to some men, Becalm her until our wedding time and be sure to sluice her devil's slit. 
<laughs> it made me think of back in the very first episode of series one where uh, Helen is in the bath getting ready for her wedding night with Edmund and Edmund says, Dorothy will shave you. <laughs> Just the woman has to be like prepared for the wedding night. That, that is even worse though. Sluice. Sluice. <laughs> and then they move on to this wedding and brother Edmund is just thrashing around trying to object in any way that he can and Dorothy's like oh he just can't wait to wed me yes. <laughs> like trying to just detract from it and she promises there's going to be a vibrant consummation <laughs> meanwhile Fogarty is now hanging and being very dramatic about it he says uh, when my neck doth snap my seed will shower you all as it <laughs> <laughs> as it once did Helene's sweet and eager face yes it's a lovely image, really. <laughs> and his last, well, before, later, his last words now are um, hush-ho, which is quite appropriate. We go back to the wedding then, uh, Shook, the dog, has <laughs> removed the bandages. And so Edmund can then reveal it was actually Dorothy that killed Hester. It was Dorothy that crippled him. And like that we see Biddy is at the back and she's trying to sort of sneak like back away. And um, Bradford Joseph says, and this is why I definitely know that they were Wicker Man obsessed, says, and this is says, oh Christ, in the exact tone that Edward Woodward says it before he gets burned oh, to death at the end okay. of the Wicker Man. And it, so it's very clearly, I mean, literally the intonation and given what a huge... Is it Reese Shearsmith that yeah, does that? Yeah. And given what a huge... Horror fan Reece Smith because there is no way he hasn't done that deliberately. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So um, I then think that his entire performance is a nod to Edward Woodward. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Because the whole thing is and that whole playing it very straight, but playing it sort of like, and that the accent is sort of partly that sort of weird Highlandy mm -hmm. sort of thing of coming up and being because he's sort of in some ways his character, although he's a terrible evil person, is is the innocent in it because he doesn't know everything else that's going on there, which is very much what's happening in the Wicker Man as well. So I think it's a very deliberate. Yeah, sort of play to it. No, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, yeah, every year on Twitter, Reese Shearsmith does a special kind of Wicker Man mm. month or something, yeah. um, like in the build up to that particular yeah. date where that thing yeah. happens. So yeah, that wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, so I think it's a very because it's just it's so absolutely spot on as an Edward Woodward mm. impersonation at that exact moment and yeah. it's the exact same words. So you're just like, yeah, it would be nice if the DVD had some special features. So that we, tell us this. I shit. know exactly. <laughs> I have to call Julia Davis up and ask her. Or, Ask Reese Shearsmith, maybe. <laughs> if I ever meet him again, I will ask yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> let's ask him because I'm quite obsessed by it. I'm, I am so particularly, I think that is part of the reason why this one is so much more grotesque than the other one because I think they're paying homage to different things and, and those things are more grotesque. Yeah, more horror. That more de horror yeah, that based. definitely makes yeah. sense. So we come to the ending now. What, what I, lo I love it. Some people hate the I was going to say, what, what do you make of it? So loads of people. And it was really interesting. I read a lot of sort of reviews, some that were at the time and some that were after, where they really hate this ending. Like they just think it's, they couldn't, some people think it's, they couldn't think of how to end it. And it's got, I totally don't because I think it is absolutely in tone with it if you think this is a horror homage and no longer a Daphne du Maurier a period drama right. homage. So if you see it as a folk horror homage, it is a brilliant ending because the whole thing just becomes, you know, her tears bringing back to life. <laughs> but she weeps so much, which, let's be fair, she's been doing because she unfortunately also brings Hester back to life <laughs> because some of the tears land on her. And Hester again sits up again in the second most scary Hester opens her eyes moment. Yeah, she just sits up really suddenly, doesn't yeah, she? It's brilliant and total horror. And then Pastor John appears and says, well, you're, you're in that sort of very League of Gentlemen, well, you're still my wife now mm -hmm. kind of thing. 
<laughs> and that's it. And they're parted from each other. And as an ending, it's, it's brilliant because it's a real horror ending. There's no way out of it. Just as they thought they were going to get happiness, mm-hmm. they're actually condemned forever yeah. to be stuck with people they don't love in this grotesque sort of thing. And I guess people know that you don't know what happens to Dorothy. So people don't, my, my guess would be that Dorothy somehow manages to survive another day. Yeah, maybe she's run off somewhere. I can't. Biddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. I think you've you've made me come around to it a bit more. Mm. I didn't really dislike the ending before, but it always seemed a bit random to me. Like suddenly there's sort of almost like magic going on and people coming back from the dead. But now hearing what you've said about all these horror references and everything, I do... I think I like it more now. I think you have to go with it. There's something, and because it's a very specific type of horror, like it is folk horror, it is countryside horror, it is that sort of, you know, um, Britannia, which is the, the jazz battle thing, that has oh, a sort right, of similar yeah. thing where people either go with that or they just go, what the hell is this? Because mm-hmm. again, it's coming from that tradition and it's everything it's nodding to it are those sort of films and that mm-hmm. sort of idea. And so there's there's a sort of through line for how those sort of things go. And, and that means you have to sort of say odd things will happen mm-hmm. and weird things will happen. But, in terms of is are the Hunterby specials a sequel to Hunterbum? Only in that they use the same characters mm-hmm. and the same setting. But I would really argue that the tone, what they're trying to do, everything about it is completely different. And maybe that's why she could write it mm-hmm. because it's a uh, it is like a homage to an entirely different genre. So I think if you're a massive fan of the first one, the second one is really jarring initially. I love it, but I love horror. Mm-hmm. I, I specifically love that very English horror of the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. which I said, therefore, so I think where series one is like, here's all the clunky period dramas of the 60s and 70s, original pole yeah. dark, bad, you know, that sort of thing. The series, the, the specials are, here's all the really weird horror that went on there. And that's what we're paying homage to this time. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything oh, else? I think I've probably just ranted about this. No, no, that's really good. No, because I hadn't thought of that sort of thing before, yeah. so... Like, yeah, I do get what you mean now. They are very different, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the tonally, yeah. they are really different. And, and you know, I think the Titans, the, the series one is tighter. Series one is much tighter. It's probably, if you were assessing this piece of TV, it's probably the better piece of TV in some ways. I have a real soft spot for the specials precisely because of the horror elements, mm-hmm. but I can see why people find them jarring. And, and, and there are bits where they really push it. And I, I would argue probably push it more than anything else Julia Davis has ever done. Mm-hmm. I mean, even things like 99, even the worst bits of 99, even, you know, some of Sally Forever or Camp, I, I don't think there's anything that quite equals the, the sort of gross hand cream scene that yeah. I was so scarred by uh, or indeed even the little bits of this there's such a visceral thing with bodily fluids in this mm-hmm. you know that it yeah it yeah. really stands out it kind of goes with the historical setting as well yeah. because things were more gross back yes, then and exactly. if you know if you got ill there was less uh, but it's even more so than it. series one which yeah. series one sort of I feel they have it in the dialogue and in the references mm-hmm. But yeah. I can see why people found it uh, more divided on this one, because I think if you're not a horror fan and you come to it, it's so different from the first one in many ways. That yeah. It just doesn't feel, it feels like broader. And I guess people would have thought, well, why did they do that? You know, But I think yeah. I think there is a clear intelligence to why they've done it. Mm-hmm. So um, before we finish, uh, where can people find you on social media? Um, only on Twitter, I guess, <laughs> at, at Sarah J.P. Hughes, um, where um, I'm largely talking about TV, periodically, and some books. Ideal. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket. You can find us on Twitter at Julia Davis QOTD, and you can find me at It's Sophie Davis. This podcast was edited by Alex Blondek with original music by Martin Ford and Matt Bond. 
Next time, I'll be joined by Emily Benita to talk about Nighty Night Series 1.